I know a lot of Olympic champions. I realize that sounds kind of name-droppy, but I say it only for effect before I say that. Keegan Randall is my favorite Olympic champion. Lighter, better, faster. The Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a biodirectional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with a Speedmax boot, Fisher Speedmax Helium Skis can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the Speedmax Helium System at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. But for whatever reason, my life has intersected with a lot of Olympic athletes and then by default a lot of Olympic champions, people with Olympic gold medals. And I've analyzed them as an analytical person. Of course I'm not on a super friendly basis with all of those I've met, but as I put thought to it, Olympic champions, I know well enough that if we came across each other, we'd say, hey, how's it going? And we'd lead to some kind of conversation about what we've, what we've been up to. From golfing 18 holes with Bob Beeman to a brief fling in my early 30s to, well, Keegan and Jesse. As I thought through this line of setting this up, I hit 20 and I realized it could just keep going, so I stopped there. And I love Jesse Diggins, so it's nearly a tie. So I don't say this lightly, but Keegan came first, and that will always be the tiebreaker for me. Sorry, Jesse, Keegan has earned it. And to avoid the sibling rivalry, let's use one of my nearly favorites further from home, Oleander Bjorndalen, as a comparison. Both because he's a legendary Olympic champion and he's not going to care that he doesn't top my list either. In terms of dialing things in, I've never met anyone in my life more dialed than Oleander. There is a reason he has more gold medals than any Winter Olympian, a great deal of which is massive talent. But an immense amount of focus and determination probably trumps some of the most amazing talent I've ever seen. But he had an entire system he was born into to help him become who he was. He's a really nice guy too. Very down to business, with a lightness of personality just under the surface that you know he'll pick up your joke if you look at him with just the right expression, otherwise he might not get it. When we were friendly, I loved studying him as a person the times I had proximity to do so. But he's damn serious, and sure, he pushed the envelope, but he was born in the envelope. Keegan, by comparison, had to find the envelope that would deliver the mail for her, and it required a different shape and color altogether, and a different postal code and different stamps. She would figure out almost in spite of her surroundings, all of that herself. I'm not sure Ole Einar under the same circumstances would have prevailed the way he did. And Keegan's envelope got nearly lost in the mail so many times that the fact it reached its destination at all elicits wonder that Ole Einar's control of things simply doesn't have by comparison. Keegan can get me to reconsider my point if she has a contention with it, unlike maybe anyone I've ever met. And she always does it in the most constructive way in a lighthearted and friendly way. I'm lucky to get to be her friend and colleague, not because of her accolades, but because the characteristics of who she is that got her there in the first place are all still right there, percolating to the surface every time we chat with each other on a tiny screen. So when a documentary on her gets made and is premiering, I need to get to the bottom of it, or at least get the background and share it. Our goal here is precisely not to spill any beans about the content of Keegan, the title of the documentary about her, because that's what the movie is for. We welcome Keegan Randall today to talk about the backstory of how this film came to be, and maybe try to get a feel for what it's like to have a documentary film made about you, and yet remain so down to earth which she does. 
It is ultimately the quality that makes her my favorite Olympic champion. She's also a really great color analyst for cross-country skiing, by the way, something I do feel I'm qualified to assert. So, Keegan, welcome back to Threshold. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be back. All right. All right. We're, we're, we're just a couple of enthusiastic people right now. I think we're just fired up from the races we just called together. <laughs> That's right. There's so many good things to be happy about right now. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and one of them is, is what we're talking about, your, your, uh, your movie, your, your documentary. So let's just, let's just, uh, let's just talk about um, we've known each other for a long time, but we, didn't, we weren't really that tight. Like, we kind of didn't know each other that well until we really started working together in 2022 for the Beijing Olympics. I mean, we go back a ways. I remember meeting you back in, like, uh, probably in around 2006, 2005. We might have met at the Olympics in 2002 even. I'm not sure. If we did, it was just a quick brush shoulders, probably like, yeah. Totally, yeah. Like you were, you were just getting started. I wasn't anywhere near the cross country world because I was doing biathlon there. But so, but but since then, we've kind of gotten to know each other better over the last several years, we'll say. And, and I don't think we talked much about this when we featured you almost two years ago. But what about? Let's just start with the TV thing, like what we've been doing together. Um, I, I just want to hit that, even though we're talking about other things. Um, what about being a TV color analyst for for your sport? Um, what do you like about it and what, do, what, maybe, what maybe isn't your favorite thing about it? <laughs> well, I have to say, when I thought about what I could do after ski racing, I know I love being connected with it. I know I've always, I've lived the storylines of cross-country skiing. And so it's been a mission of mine to help tell those storylines so that people can understand how many exciting things are happening under the surface. So got some early opportunities. I think I jumped on world championships with you and two. 2021. But going into Beijing, I was definitely a little intimidated because, you know, it felt like the big leagues and didn't have any formal training. Um, you know, the call that you guys did in uh, Beijing or I'm sorry, in Pyeongchang was just absolutely incredible. So to think about joining that team was was exciting. And um, it was amazing how natural it has felt to be mm-hmm. to be on the microphone and how exciting it's been. I mean, I feel like I'm getting to relive some of the same feelings I got from racing and to see the team doing so well uh, to be able to share with a wider audience and get them excited about such an amazing sport that part has been great what has been challenging is how you keep track of everything there's so much (laughs) to talk about you know staying on one thought not wanting to jump to the next one being able to balance uh, telling the background story but still staying with the action um and, you know, I, I think I'm still fine, fine-tuning uh, my skills, but it's been a really cool experience. Yeah, and I, I think you are a natural at it. I, think, I mean, I think when you, when you brought it up uh, with me back in the day and asked about it, I thought, like, you know, I didn't know. Nobody really knows until you do it. But your, your mind goes, like, I, I think, like, I watch, we're doing these shows together, and, and our minds go to the same place because we're, I mean, I'm, essentially, I'm a color analyst, too, and I'm trying to branch out a little bit by being the play-by-play for the ski and snowboard platform that we're both working on. But um, did you know at some point that that was kind of, I mean, I remember watching 1998 after I didn't make the Olympic team, and I was watching the CBS coverage, and I thought, oh, man, I think I could do that, and I think I could do it pretty well. Did you have that same feeling? Did you did you have a hunch that maybe like you were good at this? Well, so what's funny is I have an uncle uh, who was an Olympic skier, 1976, Chris Haynes. And growing up, I spent a lot of time with him. And he did a series for the local TV channel called Fit Tips. And he would occasionally pull me in to help with them. And he always kind of had that commentator persona. And so we'd be doing mm-hmm. family videos and he'd pull out the fake microphone with your, with your thumb. 
and I got pulled in. And so I've always looked up to my uncle Chris. So it was kind of fun to dabble with that, just playing around growing up. And then I've been a huge fan of the Olympics. So I love watching any Olympic coverage I can get in my hands on. And I love seeing former athletes jump on and being able to share their experience. Mm. And so it was definitely something on my mind. But again, I was intimidated because going out and skiing is one thing, but being able to talk about it and articulate it uh, was going to be a whole nother challenge. So I had a feeling, um, but now that I've had a chance to do it, I I really have found a nice fit and I, I love doing it. Well, I love doing it with you, so I, I kind of want to at least start with that because that's kind of like our, that's kind of like our in with each other, like to get each other, get to know each other better. Um, the thing about being you, the thing about being who you are is that you're going to be a legend to some people for the rest of your life, and and I want to flesh out kind of what elements of your life led to this documentary about yourself. Um, you don't seem to be a maven for the limelight or fame, but you have your trademarks as well. First, the name you were given at birth, which is is none of your doing, but it is immensely memorable. Um, you add an I, you add an imal to the end of it, and you've got Keek Animal as well. I mean, and then you, and then the pink hair. So you look at those three those three things. And my point is, that getting to know you, I've realized that at your core, you seem completely unsensational by nature. You you are very grounded and and. You don't seem to be somebody who like is looking for ways to brand yourself, yet you've done an amazing job by hook or by crook of branding yourself. So can you maybe just take us back to those moments when you added like the Imal to Keekin, uh, making it Keek Animal uh, to your name, or, or when you, f- you dyed your hair pink the first time, did you realize, or at least did you, did the thought cross your mind that you were kind of creating something when you were doing those things? I think what's fun about the trademarks I'm known for is they just feel so authentic to who I am and the way I approach things. Mm -hmm. And so growing up as a little kid, I hated the color pink. I was a total tomboy and I just loved sports. I loved the outlet. I loved the camaraderie. So in high school, when I started to have some success in cross country running, my teammates nicknamed me at first the animal because I was always the one that was just like, come on, let's push harder. Let's go for those team goals. And it was just like, gosh, he's just an animal. <laughs> and so then when I realized I could combine that with my name, it was um, this fun way to to kind of showcase, yeah, my approach to, mm-hmm. to what I was going after. And then I had a conversation at one point with, with someone. I mentioned I was a skier and they said, oh, you must do the downhill. And when I said, no, I'm actually a cross-country skier, I just saw this immediate look of disinterest. And so (laughs) that's when I happened to be reading a ski racing magazine, and I saw Christina Kosnick in there. She had little pink tips in her hair, and I kind of thought, you know what? I'm going to put pink in my hair to show that cross-country skiing is kind of cool and dynamic and fun. And then that was right at the point when my results really started to shift, Mm -hmm. and I had some good. So then pink became this good luck color. Around that same time, I also got involved with Fast and Female. Mm-hmm. And so it, pink represented that like female strength and power and fun. Um, and so it, it really just took on this identity of its own. And it's been really fun to, to identify that, yeah, with, with what um, my career has turned into. Um, mm-hmm. But none of it was super conscious. It was all just yeah. in the moment, uh, approaching life the way I wanted to do it. Yeah. Do you, do you think that has a little more charm that way? I think so. I think especially in this world where, you know, we're in an influencer environment and it's really hard to pick through what's authentic and what's not. Um, I've really felt that the people I've gravitated to, it's when I get to see kind of their true colors. And I really am the the stuff they're putting out. I'm kind of believing is who they really are and Mm -hmm. aligns with like my personal values. And so I'm happy that the things that I am now known for 
um, really are the things that I value most, uh, the way I live my life. Um, you know, it really is about giving your best, about vibrancy and fun. Um, you know, of course, pink took on a new, a new meaning for me when I had my breast cancer diagnosis. So it represents a lot of things there. It's, it's my true lived experience. And um, so I'm, I'm proud that, that that is, yeah, what my brand has become. So, so I'm going to try to purposely steer clear of the content of, of the documentary. Um, but I want to focus a little bit about on the stuff that, that would make somebody want, you know, anybody make, want, want to make a documentary about somebody. And you, you don't seem like somebody, like I said, I don't think you've ever really sought to like be an influential, be an influential person or be an inspiration to people. But, but that's where you've landed in your life. Like you have... You've inspired a lot of people. And do you remember when you started realizing that that was happening and that you had that kind of impact? Well, I was fortunate to have um, incredible support around me as I was young athletes starting to have success locally in both my family, my parents, and some early coaches. And um, it was my parents who really said, okay, well, as you get the results, people are gonna be looking to you. And whether you choose to or not, you are setting the tone. So this is your chance to set the good example, to be the role model. Um, and so I really s absorbed that responsibility early and thought, you know what, I'm benefiting a lot from, you know, getting the recognition, uh, you know, it led to some sponsorships and things like that. But I also accepted the responsibility of it and have always tried to keep in the back of my mind that whatever I'm doing and saying, I want it to be a positive thing for, for the people who are looking to me. Um, in addition to that, I had some coaches who also built this idea of being individually successful was great, but actually being a part of a team that's successful is actually so much more meaningful. And so that really was has been baked into kind of my um, ethos early on too, is that um, I want to be a leader uh, and a contributor to my team so that our team can also be a role model as a whole. And that made my high school experience incredibly fun at East High uh, up here in Alaska. It, and it, I think it really contributed to what we were able to build on the U.S. team. So uh, just, just a simple question. Do you enjoy being a, a relatively public person? I mean, it, it, and, and yeah, start there. Let's just, let's just start with that question. I think being a, a public person as a cross-country skier is a really nice balance because <laughs> you still get very much put in perspective. I mean, I, right. I live here in Anchorage, Alaska, which is where I grew up. Um, you know, being a state far away from everything else, we don't have any professional sports teams up here. Early on, I started to get recognition. We had really good coverage of high school sports in the local newspaper. So people started to, to catch on to who I was early on. And, you know, it's fun. I remember going into a, the grocery store at one point, and I had this, like, weakness for these maple glazed donuts. And so I just completed, like, a three-hour run, and I'm going up to the, the case where they have the donuts, and I'm just about to open the door, and this little girl comes up to me and goes, Keegan Randall eats donuts? <laughs> and so it was kind of that moment where it's like, ooh, I just kind of got busted. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, I went and did my three-hour run. This is my treat, you know, and, uh, yes, it's, you know, you can be an Olympic champion and still eat donuts, and it's okay. So, um, you know, I get, of course, recognized a lot around here. It's, it's been fun um, to get some of the recognition now. Um, nationally, mostly because it just it's put cross country skiing on the map, uh, which I'm super excited about. Um, but I can imagine when it starts to get bigger and bigger. You know, when you're a mm -hmm. Michaela Schifrin, when you're a Taylor Swift, 
Yeah. That really controls the way you can live your life. So I find like yeah. I have a, a really nice balance here. I can also be very anonymous and, you know, be Breck's mom in the background too. <laughs> yeah. Fisher's new carbon light boots offer World Cup performance with a more comfortable fit and improved insulation. The Fisher Carbon Light Skate Boot has a redesigned carbon-infused cuff that reduces weight and increases responsiveness. The Carbon Light Classic models offer increased stability while remaining incredibly lightweight. To learn how the new Fisher Carbon Light boots can help you ski faster, go to fishersports.com. So I, I think most, uh, most folks would get a bit jazzed when they get a little bit of recognition or fame. And it's human to jump headlong into something as flattering as your life story on film. But as the topic of your uh, documentary came up, was there any sense that, uh, no, I shouldn't do this? Or what, what, you know, what things maybe worried you about it that someone with no experience with fame might not have worried about um, by comparison? <laughs> well, the, the idea for the documentary actually came out of um, the pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. Prior to the world shutting down, I had been um, at post-cancer treatment. I had been traveling around, uh, doing some stuff on the ski side, doing some stuff on the um, cancer side, doing some stuff for the IOC. Um, and uh, then when the world shut down, all that travel stopped. And so there I was like in British Columbia hanging out and one of my neighbors had been in film and he had also been traveling a lot. All his work was basically outside of, of the province. And so when we were landlocked, we thought, well, you know, maybe we can do a fun project together while we're here. And we ended up doing this four-part miniseries with Fisher to kind of show the evolution of what skiing meant to me post-racing. Because it's easy when you're seen as this professional athlete, but, like, does that just stop the moment you retire? Mm -hmm. And it was like, no, like, skiing is the core of who I am. It's how I interact with my family, with my friends. You know, I get so much joy from just gliding. So we made this fun series. We obviously spent some time together filming uh, for these videos. And in doing so, uh, Matt got to know my story. And he thought, you know what, there's, there's so much more here that I'd love to tell. And hey. um, so it, it was his idea, actually. And then the second part was when I came off my gold medal um, in my ski career, like uh, there was a really fun story to tell there. But it mm -hmm. became so much more meaningful when I went through the cancer experience mm -hmm. so quickly after that gold medal and realized that so many things that had helped me be a successful athlete helped me through cancer, which is an experience that is so much more human and relatable to the general public, unfortunately. Right, And right. so then when we started talking about the documentary, it was like, well, yeah, let's tell the ski story, but let's also kind of show how what I did as an athlete ended up helping me build this mindset and, yeah. you know, approach to life that helped me through one of the most difficult things I'd ever encountered. Um, and that was really the story that was the impetus for this. And mm -hmm. I really handed it to Matt and I just said, you know, Hey, I, I will provide pictures. I will provide lists of people that were important, but I really am curious to see, you know, what you bring out of the story and tell. And so I, I've been along for the ride just like everyone else. Yeah, talk about right. I mean, I think that's that's really great that that you recognize that you can you can have a huge impact with your sport performances based on your experience with cancer because there's clearly a lot more people to help with cancer in that respect. And and, and it goes back to me. I think you're one of my favorite, or you're probably my favorite Olympic champion, which is really a big reason why because you recognize stuff like that. But there's still the reality that you have to go out and make this film. So. So was it hard to feel and act genuinely when the cameras were, were or weren't on you? And was there a point in which 
it just kind of became normal. And, and how did you know? How did Breck, who's living your life with you, how do the two of you live with cameras on you while they're while you're trying to create a documentary about yourself? Well, one of the biggest challenges was just was fitting it in amongst everything else because you mm-hmm. know life continues on and it's it's grown into all these new new things. And so um, you know we we uh, were able to fit in some cool opportunities like uh, the film crew followed me to the Berkey and that was kind of cool because I really just did my thing and and they were just kind of in the background. Uh, they got a chance to catch up with a lot of um, important people uh, that I thought could shed some light on my story. Um, they made several trips up here to Alaska, and we lucked out and had just some really amazing weather days. So the footage in the film is just amazing. Like, it even had me thinking, wow, I live in a cool place. Um, so that part was all interesting. I think the hardest part for me was, uh, you know, sitting for the interviews, having to relive some of the highest moments of my life, and also having to relive some of the lowest points of my life. And I really just tried to be you know, very, very authentic. I didn't, I didn't prepare ahead of time. I just spoke from the heart and, um, yeah, it was, it was an emotional journey, uh, mm-hmm. to go through all that. And then, you know, meanwhile, they're in interviewing all these uh, very important people in my life and I'd have no idea what they're talking to them about. And I didn't <laughs> see it until it came out in the film. And that stuff is right. also, you know, very, uh, emotional for me to, to yeah. see. Um, but I, I really can say, you know, we let this film be very authentic and uh, I think it's really cool that it shares both my sports story, which from the outside probably looks like this great, just perfect ascent. But it was, uh, you know, there were stumbling blocks along the way. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of factors that, you know, came together to help support my journey. So we get to talk about that. Uh, and then we get to talk about the, re- the real realities of what it was like to go through cancer and, and some of the mm-hmm. things that have happened since. Yeah. So, so in the process of doing this, I... I you know, it's it's hard to imagine. Like, I can't imagine somebody wanting to do a a documentary on my life. Um, I think with your unique the the unique things that you've done with your life, it's it's clear to understand that. But is there anything in that process of making this film that most people who haven't had a documentary documentary made about them might not understand or might overlook in the process of making one that 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 you're sharing with the world that you didn't really expect would come about in, in the process of making a film about yourself. Is there anything, anything that, that surprised you or, or that most people might not think of when, when being maybe flattered that somebody wants to do a documentary on you? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very overwhelming thing because mm. um, you're living your life day to day. You're always looking forward to the next thing. You know, time is moving through. And how many people get a chance to really stop and go back and dig into your photos and your the people of your past and just like kind of take a reflect. I mean, I'm, I'm only 41 now, um, so there's a lot of life left yet to live, but um, to go back and actually look through the various segments of my life and take that time, uh, what you know, was eye-opening. Because again, I've been living it day to day, it's all just kind of happened, but you can go back and you can see that there were these forks in the road, that there these critical elements that made, made or break, you know, break and, um, so that was that was a really cool process, and I think what what I think came out of the film a little bit is um, one of the things that, that Matt really highlighted was how these different pieces of, of my life, where I grew up, who I was around, um, the experiences I got to have, good and bad, how all of that shaped me into the person that has been able to do the things that I've done. Um, and I don't know that I would have been able to go back and, and just recognize that myself. I wouldn't have taken the time to try to think through it, <laughs> but then to really see it. So that, that has been really cool. And 
you know, I, I think regardless of what the outcome was before the, before I saw that premiere of the film or that first showing, it was like, wow, what, what a process this has been just to do it. Yeah. So let's go back. So you, this ha- this ha- you have seen it once, or you, you've probably seen it since then, but it, it debuted in Crested Butte, Colorado on February 3rd. And your next showing is Saturday night, February 17th, after the first day of the Loppet Cup World Cup in Minneapolis. And we'll have that information on our on our uh, on our information uh, on our website and, and on our description of this of this episode, but um, it's going to go on from there to Hayward and the Berkey weekend, and then Anchorage and Bend, Oregon. But based on that first night in Crested Butte, um, what was that like? Like how how did that? You hadn't seen the film yet, I, I assume you hadn't seen it yet. I had actually seen it ahead of time, so okay. I did yeah. know. But it's been, I've seen it a couple of times, but it's been mm-hmm. amazing that even though I know what's coming, (laughs) it's still, it's still a wild experience for me to watch it, um, myself. And then to, to like be in a room with almost 300 other people and Mm -hmm. hear kind of what they react to and see the expression on their faces and then be able to, to follow up the movie with interacting with the audience and just Mm -hmm. kind of hearing like what they got out of it, um, uh, has been just a really cool experience. And, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like going back and watching that 2018 race, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah I know, I know what happened, but gosh, yeah. every time I watch it, I feel like the the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. <laughs> like it's just exciting. So, I mean, Matt, Matt, and uh, and his partner Jeff uh, Bartlett did uh, Matt Clark and Jeff Bartlett like did such an incredible job with the way they put together the film. Yeah. I mean, everybody that that stepped up and was willing to be involved and interviewed in this um, was incredible. And there was a bunch of people that we really wanted to get in but and ultimately had to pack it into the time we had so um yeah i mean there's so much more i would love to put in there but they did such a nice job with it did you get nervous before that first premiere was it was it you know, did you feel like you're on the start line of a ski race i do get nervous yeah i mean i <laughs> I, I gave a little uh I had a wonderful mc who gave the introduction then i spoke a little bit and then and it's like okay i'm handing over this really real piece of my life and mm-hmm. uh um so, you know, are people going to find it exciting at all? <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, totally, um, yeah. You know, the, all those questions run through your mind, just yeah. like when you're on a start line and you're you're thinking about all the th- all the things. Um, right. um So, um, yeah, it's very exciting, but I'm I'm super grateful to um, to be able to share it with the world because I hope even even if one person walks out of there with something that just makes mm-hmm. them feel uh, happier, excited, stronger. Um, I think, you know, I just hope that everyone could find a little something in themselves in this film and, and come out feeling a little bit inspired and hopeful. Can you explain a little bit about how the tour came about? Like wh- where you, how you came up with the venues and, and where you wanted to, to, to premiere the show? Well, I think the biggest challenge for me is, you know, I, I do want to get out and I want to be everywhere and I want to share this mm-hmm. with everyone um, because I, you know, I think there, there is um, a, lot, a lot of fun and a lot of value you can have with this. But the challenge for me is, um, you know, I've also got a lot of other things to balance in life. And so we we tried to be a little bit strategic. So I had some really amazing partners on this film. Uh, L.L. Bean, which has been my uh, sponsor now for 10 years. Hmm. Um, they immediately stepped forward and said, yes, we'd love to be a part of this. Same with Fisher Skis. I've been on Fisher Skis since the day after my first birthday. Uh, <laughs> and they have been a wonderful partner in this. And then uh, the Providence Health System, which really helped me through actually a couple ma- major medical challenges in my life. And uh, I continue to part with them to, to promote wellness here in Anchorage. So three just solid partners. Um, you know, so we really collaborated and thought, where can, where can we, you know, have an impact 
while I hope this film has reached beyond just the Nordic community, I think it also mm. has a lot of heart in the Nordic community. And so mm-hmm. when we thought about places, um, you know, Crested Butte was hosting the Alley Loop last weekend. And so to be able to come there and, and capture the energy of that event was great. They also have an amazing organization there that supports uh, patients through cancer. So it was a mm-hmm. nice tie in. Um, you know, of course, Minneapolis World Cup couldn't be more excited to have uh, cross-country skiing at that level back in the North America. So really fun to be able to share it with that audience. Same with the Berkey. I mean, just such incredible energy, so many passionate people that I think will connect to a lot of things in this story. Uh, and then, of course, two shows here in my hometown of Anchorage, Alaska um, are going to be insane. Uh, they've already sold out. <laughs> uh, the, the first the first show sold out. The second one's nearing uh, sold out now. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was a no-brainer, of course. And then, you know, some people in Bend, Oregon just actually contacted mm-hmm. me and said, we'd love to show your video. So my, my well, regret right now is I don't have an East Coast venue um, mm-hmm. on the list. But as of um, March 8th, which happens to be International Women's Day, um, my film will go live on my YouTube channel and it will be available for everybody. And cool. I hope that uh, I hope people to get together with with friends and family and, you know, can create showings of their own. Um, watch the film together, because I think when you get to, you know, kind of process something like that, it's always more fun in a group. And, um, you know, and, and, and then through this tour, we're getting to support some amazing organizations like um, yeah. the National Nordic Foundation the Nordic Ski Association up here in Anchorage, um, the American Cancer Society. So um, we're getting to to give back with this film as well. Great. So we're we're doing this uh, podcast ahead of the the showing, the premieres in Minneapolis at the World Cup. It's Saturday, February 17th, and then the next next Friday night in, in Hayward, Wisconsin. So just take us through, you know, for somebody who might just say, well, I'll wait till it comes out on, on YouTube. Uh, what does the night? What does that evening entail? I know you're going to be on hand at both at, at those at those premieres, and just kind of walk us through what you get beyond just watching it on YouTube and why they should why why they should show up. Well, like I said, the scenery in the film is just breathtaking, mm-hmm. um, and so to see it on a big screen and the music was actually um, uh, originally uh, made just for this film. Um, so it's got great music, great scenery. And so I think it's worth seeing on a big screen if you can. I also think just that collective feeling of being in an audience and hearing the, the oohs and ahs and, um, (laughs) you know, the pauses, uh, you know, I get a lot of energy out of being with the crowd as we watch this again, even though Mm -hmm. I've seen it a couple of times already. And then, you know, in Crested Butte after the film, I had a chance to come back on stage and, uh, we did a little Q and a. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool to to take some things that I think people were like f- pulling from the film and diving into it things a little bit deeper. Yeah. So yeah. I really enjoyed that chance to to dive in. And then after the film, we had um, we got a fun movie poster. So I was signing movie posters. Mm-hmm. You know, people got to to hold the gold medal, um, and just having that interaction with everybody yeah. around this, I think is is great. So like I said, I wish we could take the tour everywhere, right. but we also felt really strongly that we wanted this film to be very accessible to everybody. Right. So if you don't get a chance to see it in person, then I hope again that you get together, uh, maybe come up, create your own premiere um, mm-hmm. and just have fun with it. But but I think the, 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 the big point, the big takeaway is you're at those events. You're going to be at the at those events with Q&As. And, and, and so that's, that's a huge draw, I think, because to have you there. Well, thanks for... <laughs> Yeah, is there anything else about the film? What, what was the favorite, let me just ask you this, what's been the favorite, what's been your favorite part about having a documentary of, of yourself out there? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think what re- what is really cool is, you know, a lot has been written about me. You know, I was uh, I had a long ski career, so, 
you know, people know a lot of the high points of the story, but I think what this documentary does is it, it tells more of the, the pre-story. It tells more, uh, you know, realistically highlights, you know, what, what some of the low points were, but how in the end, how important those were for creating the high points and for creating, you know, a life that you just feel really, really good about. So, um, yeah, it was cool to just be able to pull out some of those things that really haven't been, haven't been talked about. And like I said, you know, the scenery is amazing and, um, there's a really amazing kind of closing shot that, you know, really speaks to the chapter I'm in in my life. And so I'll just leave a little bit of mystery out there. Awesome. Let's do that. The cliffhanger from threshold. Um, well, we love having you on. We're gonna we're gonna have all the details about both the Minneapolis and the Hayward uh, screenings of Keegan, the documentary. Um, Keegan, it's uh, I mean we're gonna be hanging out for the next few weeks. It's gonna be really fun. But I I, I love promoting this for you, and I, and I hope that uh, I look forward to seeing you at the one in Minneapolis. I'll be there as well. So um, so so thanks for coming on Threshold again, and and we'll see you tomorrow actually uh, on screen. But I'll see you in Minneapolis when you get there. All right. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun few weeks coming up. All right. We'll see you soon. The film Keegan is at the Capri Theater in Minneapolis, Saturday, February 17th. Doors open at 7 p.m. with a brief introduction and the film starting at 8 p.m. with a Q&A to follow with Keegan and poster signing from 9 to 9.30. Keegan will also air at the Park Center in Hayward at 7.15 p.m. Friday, February 23rd, the night before the American Bergbinder. See the links for tickets in our episode description. The United States is enjoying an incredible groundswell of amazing competitive success at all levels in cross-country skiing. From the ongoing Junior and Under-23 World Championships in Slovenia, in which Americans up to this recording have won medals in three of five days of competition, to nearly expected podium finishes on the World Cup every day of the season. It might get overlooked that as a teenage girl in the 2002 Olympics, and determined to change her environment for the better, that it was Keegan who drew the line from what U.S. skiing was then to what it is now. Jesse, Rosie, Sadie, Ben, and Gus, and all their cohorts wouldn't be who they were without Shade Keegan through their way. Keegan will be the first to point out that her accolades will be bettered. That's just the way sport is. Not two hours before we recorded this, Jesse broke Keegan's single season victory record for Americans with her sixth win this season. Keegan was the one who pointed out that it might happen today, and when it did, she handled it so graciously. With the documentary, Keegan, we get a chance to peek inside the history that Keegan Randall made for all of us, to see ourselves today as the ski racing community we are. But I expect there's more there than the story of just ski racing, because ski racing is just a vehicle for what makes Keegan so great to begin with. I can't wait to see it. That's special for this episode. I'm Chad Somala. Thanks for listening.